Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Jensen is with us again this week. Tom has been with us a number of times. He makes his living being the director of public policy polling. I think they still pay you for that. I hope so. Uh, well, you, you'll find that every two weeks <laughs> or so. Anyway, Tom, uh, public policy polling is a uh, polling organization that uh, uh, does research and uh, on issues of the day. And so from time to time, we have Tom come over and tell us about what he's been researching recently and what the results are. And there's all sorts of things going on in this world right now that uh, make us uh, find this very interesting to, to open Tom's uh, uh, background and, and uh, research to us so that we'll know what's going on. And I guess we start off with uh, Donald Trump because he is constantly in the news and particularly here in North Carolina after his visit to Greenville. So have you done a poll since his visit to Greenville? Uh, yeah, we did one sort of coterminous with his coming to Greenville, and he's narrowly unpopular in North Carolina. About 46, 47 percent of voters approve of the job he's doing, about 50, 51 percent of voters disapprove of the job he's doing. So he's in better shape in North Carolina than he is nationally, but he does still have more people here who disapprove than approve of him. Why why do you think uh, he he has the popularity more in North Carolina than, say, in other states or in the average state? uh, One simple reason is that he did six points better in North Carolina in the election in uh, 2016 than he did in the country as a whole. Even as he was losing the popular vote nationally by two points, he won North Carolina by four points. Uh, So it makes sense, just based on that, that his numbers would be better in North Carolina than they are nationally. And I think it just speaks to the fact that we're still a slightly conservative state. I don't think we're a deeply conservative state uh, by any means anymore, uh, but still a little more conservative than the country as a whole. So it makes sense that he holds up a little better here. The the other interesting thing about Donald Trump, of course, he's he's constantly on – on Twitter, and uh, so uh, does that. Uh, do you see differences after in polling after he sends out a tweet than before? Definitely, his approval has gone up and down. Uh, not that much because it's pretty much stayed in place. But to the extent his approval has gone up and down over the last two years, there really has been a correlation to sort of how unhinged he is on social media at a particular time when he's kind of staying quieter and acting more like a normal sort of president by historical standards, his numbers will creep up a little bit. And then when he's sort of going through a phase where he's really active on Twitter and tweeting a lot of stuff that's sort of out there, you'll see his numbers go down a little bit. Uh, Something that I think is a very simple truth about him is that given where the economy is, if he had the temperament of a normal president, he'd have very strong approval ratings. But because uh, he acts in a way, particularly on Twitter, that so many voters find off-putting. That's why his approval ratings remain in the low 40s, even though most of what's going on, usually a president would be pretty popular. Now, North Carolina, of course, has a very high number of unaffiliated, and by unaffiliated, that means <laughs> merely that that's their form of registration. They are still either leaning conservative or leaning liberal or leaning down the road, middle of the road or whatever. But uh, so is there a significant difference in the approval rating of the unaffiliated? Uh, No, that's pretty similar to the overall numbers in the state, but that's sort of a change in North Carolina politics. It used to be that unaffiliated voters were sort of more Republican-leaning. 
and now they don't look that different from the state as a whole at all. And in some areas, they've actually become very Democratic-leaning. Uh, a lot of the legislative races that uh, Democrats were able to pick up in North Carolina last year were in districts where there's as many as 16 percent more registered Republicans than registered Democrats. But the reason that Democrats were able to win in those places is because unaffiliateds were voting so heavily Democratic when they've usually been more Republican-leaning or 50-50 sort of in their voting patterns. Uh, and definitely that trend of unaffiliateds, particularly in the urban areas, moving strongly to the Democrats. Democrats is a backlash against President Trump. Now, uh, this unaffiliated movement, or uh, as most people call it, independent, uh, is this sweeping across the country in the same way that it is in North Carolina? Because we now have a number of counties that the plurality is unaffiliated. Yeah, definitely uh, more voters as they sort of register to vote for the first time or go to change an address or uh, anywhere where they have to pick a party affiliation, increasingly are not feeling any loyalty to either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. That's particularly true among younger voters. Younger voters vote pretty overwhelmingly Democratic, but they do not identify as Democrats. They, they don't want to be part of the party. Uh, so as you alluded to, we already have counties in North Carolina kinda, where unaffiliateds are number one. Last year, unaffiliated succeeded Republicans to become the second largest group of voters in the state. And somewhere here over the next decade, unaffiliated are going to pass Democrats in the state as well. And we'll have more unaffiliated than anything else. Why, why do you think that is? I think that both parties just sort of have a lot of internal division about what direction they need to be going in, where a lot of people sort of just get frustrated and say, I don't stand for this at all. For instance, among those younger people uh, who are pretty liberal, they don't think the Democratic Party is liberal or bold enough. So they don't want to be Democrats because they you know, see that as sort of these 70-year-olds in their mind who aren't doing anything. Uh, so they register unaffiliated because of that. Same thing sort of on the right. A lot of uh, Trump supporters come from unaffiliated who think the cons uh, Republican Party is not conservative enough and hasn't been bold enough in taking conservative action. So even though they'll generally vote Republican because they like them better than the Democrats, they register unaffiliated because they're unhappy with uh, lack of progress from the Republicans. Has, uh, you know, we hear a lot of the term millennials, of course, is around all the time and thrown away around very loosely. Uh, is there clearly a group of uh, that, uh, that you can identify as being called millennials that have similar characteristics? Or is this just... Uh, a term that uh, <laughs> a term of the times yeah i mean it's basically just a term like uh generation x or uh anything like that where it's just basically people who go and you know you sort of choose an arbitrary starting year to give that group to a year of birth and an arbitrary ending year year of birth and sort of lump all those people together but I think the uh, official definition of millennials, obviously it's debatable, but it's something like people born between 1980 and 1992 or something like that. And I don't know that there's a lot of similarities between people born in 1980 and people born in 1992. So, uh, you, know, you know, typically young people have always been leaning more. I mean, it, it, it's always been a fact that people as they age become more, I guess, what is called conservative. Yeah. So that, that trend's really not changing, is it? No. I mean, you know, certainly it's possible that as the world changes, we could have a generation that doesn't get conservative as it got older, and that would be 
uh, pretty bad news for the Republicans because they kind of rely on that. But certainly we have a very long-term trend of younger voters are almost always liberal, and then as they get older, they sort of move more at least to the center, if not to the right. Where is that Where is that age break? Where does that start? I think that it's probably most commonly when you're in your 40s and you're raising a family and you're having more expenses that you than you did when you were younger that are sort of required. So then you get crankier about having to pay taxes and uh, you sort of feel more responsibility about the world, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think generally that that might be about when that starts. Of course, most people don't change. It's just that if you do change, you're more likely to change from uh, liberal to conservative than the other way around. Now, uh, of course, the term liberal and conservative depends on the issue because, for example, uh, well, there's just a lot of issues that people jump on both sides of. For example, there are a number of conservatives that are basically strongly in favor of gun control, for example. So how, how do you identify what is called a conservative and what is called a liberal? What, what, is the fact, what are the factors that determine where you stand politically? Well, it's whatever you want to call yourself, ultimately. Uh, and something that we see is that a lot of the time, uh, people who describe themselves as liberal or moderate or conservative, uh, then when we look at what their views on the issues are, a lot of the time, as you sort of allude to, they don't necessarily line up perfectly with what is generally thought of as being liberal positions and conservative positions. I've had people, you know, tell me they're a liberal and then they say that they're pro-life and pro-gun and uh, those sorts of things that you wouldn't usually think of somebody who holds those positions as being a a liberal. So I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the time these labels are sort of overused. Right now there's so much discussion about the progressive wing and the moderate wing of the Democratic Party and who's going to win out in the Democratic nomination contest. The reality is that people who identify as progressives, people who identify as moderates pretty much think the same things. Well, that's that's all. By the way, we're going to talk a great deal about the very crowded Democratic presidential field, and we've just gotten through with another round of debates, and we want to get your opinion. I know that we're recording this program right at the conclusion of the second of those debates, so I suspect you have not done any research on that yet, but we want to talk about that, and we will get to that when we get to another segment of the program. And, of course, we also want to talk about the feelings of the country on Congress. You know, it's interesting. So many of the questions in the debates had to do with things that the president really doesn't decide. Congress does. Uh, why do we always blame the president for things that Congress does or should a, do? <laughs> it's just a lot more visible. Uh, certainly, people know who the president is. Most people don't know who their member of Congress is, much less who all the other members of Congress are. So I think it's just a, a simple issue of who you see the most is who you blame or credit the most. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Tom Tillis and where he stands. We're going to talk about the uh, uh, UNC Board of Governors. We're going to talk about uh, the name recognition of possible candidates for governor for the state of North Carolina. And also, uh, we'll ask you about the uh, approval rating of the General Assembly in North Carolina as they are still in session here in Raleigh and trying to settle on the budget questions. We'll all do all that and much more as we continue with Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. Hey, it's me, your piggy bank. Remember when you were a little kid? All the dimes and quarters in my back. Yeah, that was good times. Good times. 
Now lately, I gotta be honest, you've been ignoring me. Money's been slipping through your hands like a greased pig. <laughs> get it? Because I'm a... Anyway, I know how it is. Now that you get a real paycheck, it's nice to have stuff. You'll start saving money next year. Well, I hate to tell you, but good saving habits start now. Put just 20 bucks in the bank a month. Make your own coffee at home instead of that latte every morning. Brown bag it to work instead of ordering in. Those changes alone can save you thousands of dollars a year. Come on, I'm your piggy bank. We can be together again, me and you. <laughs> anyway, if you don't want me to cry anymore, feed me. Go to feedthepig.org for more ideas on how to save. Feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the North Carolina Association of CPAs, and the Ad Council. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem Program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem Program. Be the voice for a child. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right, sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He is uh, the director of public policy polling, a polling organization that uh, not only polls here in North Carolina but across the country. They perform automated telephone surveys using interactive voice response, IVR. I love that term, IVR. And, of course, they track public opinions uh, on a wide range of issues, and we are going to talk about some of those right now. We have, uh, of course, already begun to talk about the upcoming election, and yet it's a year away. Uh, one of the conversations is about Tom Tillis. Uh, the Republican Party seems to be split on him because there is a, a number of challenges. On the other hand, uh, he is the incumbent. So where does he stand right now in, with his possibility of, of running or not running? Uh, and if he does run, his chances of winning. <laughs> well, I think he's running, but he's very unpopular. We find that only about 25% of voters approve of the job he's doing, about 50% disapprove. Uh, so usually you would look at those approval numbers, 25 approve, 50 disapprove, and just assume that he's doomed for reelection. Uh, but as you allude to, a big part of why his approval numbers are so poor is that a lot of Republicans disapprove of him. But if he does win the Republican nomination for a second term, they're going to vote for him even though they don't like him. Uh, so we did a poll last month testing Tillis against the most likely Democratic candidate, Cal Cunningham, uh, and Cal Cunningham was just up by one point. It was basically a toss-up. So I think that's where the Senate race stands is that it's pretty 50-50, and it's going to be one of the most important Senate races in the country. Uh, right now, Democrats are down 53 to 47 in the U.S. Senate. 
they're probably going to lose the Senate seat that they currently hold in Alabama. Uh, so that would get them to down 54 to 46 next year. They're favored to win Senate races next year in Arizona and Colorado that Republicans hold right now. So that gets it to 52 to 48. Tillis's seat is probably the seat that gets Democrats to within 51 to 49 in the Senate. And then if they can pick up one more Senate seat somewhere in the country and win the presidency, then whoever the vice president is for the Democrats would give them uh, control in the Senate. So it's definitely going to be one of the most important races for determining who gets control. And people ask me all the time, why don't more Republicans stand up to President Trump? They know uh, that, you know, what he's doing is bad, but they never say anything. Tom Tillis is really emblematic of why more Republicans don't speak up. He has never been particularly popular, but he's usually had about 30% approve, about 35% disapprove, uh, and now he's at 25 approve, and that disapprove's gone all the way from 35 to 50. The reason his approval numbers have tanked so much this year is because he briefly stood up to President Trump on something, and it made Republicans hate him. When Trump wanted the national emergency about the situation at the border, uh, Tillis said that he did not think Trump should be able to do that, and then all of a sudden Tillis had a very negative approval rating with Republicans. Uh, And then he changed his tune and got back on board with Trump, but just basically a a few days of standing up to trump on something and his numbers fell apart so um so basically your projection at this point in time on tom tillis is will he get the nomination or not uh he's up by five to ten points against garland tucker in the republican primary uh when we poll it it's sort of in the 40 to 30 40 to 35 sort of range i do think that ultimately he's gonna get the nomination and uh, one reason why is that, uh, you know, Trump is with Tillis, and I think Republicans usually are going to do what Trump says. Uh, so I think that Tillis will end up getting it, but I think it's going to hurt. I think it's going to be a, a bloody primary, and it may weaken him a little bit for the general. The Board of Governors uh, that runs the uh, campuses of the University of North Carolina from uh, from border to border is always in the news. Are you doing any polling on the Board of Governors? You know, anytime we do any polling on the Board of Governors, people don't have any opinion about it. Uh, So I think it is something that people who are really plugged into state politics give a lot of thought to, but it's not something that your sort of average voter across the state is really thinking about very much. So anytime we do poll on that, it's pretty inconclusive because most people just say they don't know anything about it one way or another. Generally speaking, uh, is there more apathy on all issues now than there was, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or is it about the same? It seems like to me there's a little bit more just general lack of interest in government and politics than there was, say, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think the struggles that local media have had uh, across the country and in North Carolina has really sort of reduced the amount of attention that voters pay to things like what's going on in the legislature, what's going on in Raleigh more generally, what's going on with their city council, county commissioners, those sorts of things. I think maybe the overall interest in news is steady, but uh, it's gotten more and more and more heavily just only people pay attention to what's going on nationally and don't pay very much attention to what's 
going on at low, uh, more local levels. And certainly apathy might be a part of it, but I also just think lack of information is a part of it. If you're no longer getting a newspaper delivered to your house every day telling you what's going on in your community or telling you what's going on in your state, and you're just getting all of your uh, news from television, from national outlets, you know, if you don't know what's going on locally, you are going to be apathetic because you, you don't even know what you should care about. Podcasting seems to be on the uprise, uh, but the the problem with that is most people are uh, listening to podcasts that they already have some opinion on, and they're not getting the other side. Very much like what's happening on the cable TV channels, people are either you know the conservatives are watching Fox and the liberals are watching CNBC, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, so you are getting reinforced in your existing opinions without uh, learning of the other side. Do you see any way that that's ever going to be balanced off, or is that making the situation worse as far as uh, people digging their heels into the sand on their positions? Well, it's definitely making things worse. I think that people increasingly consuming their news from mostly partisan media sources that tell them what they want to hear has definitely been a big contributor to the country being so divided. Because on both sides, I think you see some tendency just not to even believe the other side's perspective because you're never really exposed to it. So, you know, a lot of people who watch Fox News just think that's the truth and anything that's contrary to that is fake. Uh, And I think that sort of runs both ways. Is there any way that it's going to change? I mean, everything in sort of American society and American politics is cyclical. Uh, You go back to the 19th century, people when they had a big choice of newspapers, chose the newspaper to read that sort of had the perspective that uh, they sort of more identified with and that kind of thing. So uh, I definitely don't see things changing in the foreseeable future, uh, but I do think that sometimes we sort of have resets on things where we sort of calm down and get more in the middle and, and you know can have a period of comparative tranquility before getting back into trying to choke each other like we are right now. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the director of public policy polling. They do polling across the country here in North Carolina. Tom, uh, let me ask you a question. What is your definition? I'm, because I'm trying to get a, an understanding of this. What is your definition of fake news? We hear that term all the time now. And I ask people, I said, what's your definition of fake news? And people say, well, it's news that's not true. Well, um, is that a adequate definition, or what is fake news? I think at this point, when people say fake news, this is not my personal definition, but this is my sociological definition of how I think other people use the term. Fake news is basically anything you don't want to hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if uh, if there's something that sort of has a a liberal storyline to it, conservatives will call it fake news even if it's true. And if there's something that sort of has a conservative storyline to it, uh, liberals might not use the phrase fake news, but, you know, essentially have that same attitude even if it's true there as well. So uh, I think there was a time when fake news really did refer to the media reporting stuff that was actually just flat out wrong, but increasingly it just means I don't want to hear that fake news regardless of how true it is. And for the most part, people who are throwing around that term don't want to know how true it is or not. Well, it's an interesting term because, uh, as I said, I've done a lot of my own personal polling on it, and everyone seems to give a different answer. But I think probably you just gave me the best one I've heard. It's 
It's news that people don't want to hear. Uh, that's a good one. Okay, I'm going to give you credit for that. <laughs> All right, so uh, we've talked about approval ratings of Tom. Tell us what about uh, Governor Roy Cooper. He's uh, he's seen a little bit of a dip in his approval rating recently. We've tended to find him over the course of his first two and a half years as governor, sort of in the 50% approval range, 35% disapproval range. But the last statewide poll we did on him, voters were actually pretty evenly divided. Uh, And that goes along with a trend that we've noticed in our polling for over a decade now, which is that whenever the legislature's in session, everybody associated with state government gets more unpopular. This is true of Bev Perdue, it's true of Pat McCrory, and now it's true of Roy Cooper. When the legislature's in town, Voters are just down on everybody who's sort of involved in state politics, and then they go away and things come back up. So voters are pretty evenly divided on Cooper right now in a matchup with Dan Forrest uh, for re-election next year. He leads by five points. And the reality is it's going to be hard for anyone in North Carolina to win anything by much more than five points in this day and age because the state is so closely divided. Well, it's truly a purple state. There's no question about it. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, we're going to replace Missouri as the, as the state people watch. As North sure. Carolina goes, the country goes. Mm-hmm. And our population continues to grow, and we continue to have more and more people moving in from out of state. And it's uh, uh, bound to, I guess, continue to be more and more purple. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there another state that is as purple as we are? It's hard to to beat us. We were the second closest state for president in 2008. We were the second closest state in the president for 2012. Uh, In 2018, even though it was a huge Democratic wave year nationally, Democrats won the overall vote for everything when you look at it in North Carolina by two points. In 2016, which was a good year for Republicans nationally, Republicans won everything in North Carolina on average by two points. Uh, so we just so elect- that's one point change. Yeah, election <laughs> cycle after election yeah. cycle, we're coming within one or two points one way or the other. Yeah, two point difference is only one percent change. Yeah, yeah. Something that's going on uh, in the uh, country right now is the increase. Uh, interest in sports betting and of course north carolina with the casinos in the western part of the state will now have sports betting what does the public feel like about the change in the laws involving betting so we haven't actually done any polling on that but i think that it's something where uh voters would pretty much be fine with easing up the laws on sports betting i mean it's been going on for years it's just been illegal yeah uh And this is maybe sort of a funny parallel, but maybe a reasonable parallel. Something else that's been going on for years and is increasingly becoming legal is marijuana legalization. Uh, And that's something that, you know, it used to be that voters were totally opposed to that, and now voters are totally on board with that. And I think that it's probably the same thing with something like sports betting. I think in general, society is definitely getting less conservative on those sorts of personal choice issues. Uh, because it really doesn't play out that much as a Democrats versus Republicans issue so much as a generational issue. Uh, For instance, on marijuana specifically, where I'm more familiar with the data, a 25-year-old Republican is much more likely to be supportive of marijuana legalization than a 70-year-old Democrat. 
uh, it's much more generational than it is party split. And I think with something like marijuana, with something like gay marriage, with something like sports betting, you're generally going to see the younger generation just be like, sure, we don't have a problem with that. You can do whatever you want. It's your choice, that kind of thing. The General Assembly also approved the sale of alcohol at uh, uh, sporting events in North Carolina and especially on the college campuses. And I think almost every school, with the exception of maybe Duke, has said, okay, we're going to sell uh, beer at ball games. Uh, what's, uh, have you done any polling on that? Definitely any sort of polling we've ever done about liberalizing alcohol laws, there's very strong support. Uh, North Carolina obviously has had some of the more conservative laws regarding alcohol in the country. And uh, definitely when we sort of look into things like Sunday sales, letting uh, alcohol be served earlier on Sundays, the so-called brunch bill, those sorts of things, there's a very strong bipartisan consensus that those sorts of liberalization of alcohol laws are just fine. You've given me just enough time to thank Tom Tom Jensen, (laughs) Tom Gibson, Tom Jensen for being our guest on public. uh, He, of course, is the director of public policy polling and is a frequent guest on our program. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that, carolinanewsmakers.com. So till next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.